morning. It's nice to see all of you this morning. If you're visiting, we are glad you're here. If you're visiting locally or uh, from afar, uh, we are glad that you're here and made the time to uh, to be with us this morning. If you haven't done so on your way out, please get a copy of the bulletin. Uh, there are a number of different announcements and uh, upcoming activities that we want to inform you about, and so uh, make sure you take a look at that. You can also check on our website, sunsetmiami.org. This is a picture of our mission group uh, with the students from BICA, which is a Bible Institute, the Bible Institute of Central America. And uh, they've been working in Estanzuela, uh, Guatemala, and uh, been having a very productive, uh, uh, well, I think it ended last night, but uh, evangelistic outreach. Uh, so far, uh, as of last night or early this morning, there have been 10 baptisms. And so we um, thank the Lord for those 10 individuals. There have been numerous individuals contacted and, and made relationship with the congregation. Uh, this is a picture of them, a little, just our group from Sunset. I think most of the ones are there. There might be one or two that are missing, but uh, this was before they headed to church this morning. They're checking out of their hotel. They'll be going back to Guatemala City and then um, uh, for a day of uh, relaxation and fun tomorrow. And they return home on Tuesday, July 9th, uh, supposed to arrive around 6.50 or 7-ish. So um, be remembering them in prayer. Stephen asked us to especially... Uh, pray about their driving. Uh, they are driving the vans and the vehicles, and um, as you can imagine, uh, anytime you're driving in an international context, there's different rules uh, and um, uh, different situations, and so they're just asking that uh, we remember them uh, in, in all they're doing. So let's, let's pause for a moment, pray, and then uh, we'll get into the lesson for today. Father, we do thank you for uh, the way that you use us to serve your purposes, to advance your kingdom throughout this world. We thank you, Father, for our brothers and sisters and friends who are working together uh, in um, in Guatemala. Thank you, Father, for all the children that they've been able to see, the pediatricians they've been able to see, the, the, the individuals that have been contacted, the food that has been distributed, the help that has been done on their church buildings, and for the numerous individuals that have made the decision to follow you. We pray, Father, for their lives and for uh, their futures. Uh, we pray, Father, for our team and for all those that are part of the team that we'd be traveling today to Guatemala City and then to Antigua. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would watch over them and their return to Miami on Tuesday. Pray, Father, that you would bless them and all those who will be traveling over these next couple of weeks for the, the ending up of the holidays. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of people are out and, uh, and others will be out soon. And so uh, we uh, uh, want to continue to, to remember all those that will be traveling this, uh, this summer. Uh, Robert, thank you for filling in last Sunday. I know it was kind of spur of the moment, last minute, and uh, you did an excellent job. Appreciate your willingness and your spirit to uh, just launch out there. Uh, what, what is it? Fools uh, jump in where uh, or rush in where where wiser men and angels uh, dare to tread, and uh, you rushed in not like a fool, but as a wise man, and uh, and did an excellent job. And thank you for your heart and spirit and helping out. Uh, things happen and situations occur that uh, uh, that require uh, participation and help from from the body. Imagine that it's Friday afternoon and your job is in downtown Miami. Now, this might not be an imaginary scenario for some of you, but <laughs> and you're in downtown Miami and you're one of those, you could name whatever intersection you want where the traffic has been building 
summertime. Tempers are short. It's hot. People are wanting to get home for just to get away, (laughs) get away from the city and just get home and get cool. And the traffic has formed this pattern that we know too well called gridlock. Nobody's moving. Everybody's honking. When we were in uh, London a few weeks ago, doing I was doing a, a marriage retreat for the congregation there. Um, it was amazing how prim and proper the the drivers were. Everybody was very courteous and waited their turn. And then I don't even know if I heard a horn honk the entire time that I was in London. And then we took a quick trip to Paris. The morning I woke up and went out to to get some pastries um, in the morning in the Paris streets, there was a bit of a bottleneck and I saw people waving their arms and what's wrong with you and the hand gestures and I heard the honking. I thought, yeah, this feels like home. (laughs) Uh, Different people react differently, but in Miami, if there's gridlock, there will be uh, horns honking. Um, Won't change anything, but they'll be honking nonetheless. And um, and so you've got this situation. Everybody's hot. Everybody's sweaty. Everybody just wants to move, but they can't. And you can't move because the guy in front of you, but he can't move because the guy in front of him. And it's just a nightmare. Then out of nowhere, some young guy shows up and immediately takes control and says, "Okay, you stop. You stop. You stop. okay. You go." And then clears it. And then clears. And then within a matter of minutes, has resolved the problem. And then the police come. And the guy just kind of wants to slip away because doesn't look like he's really anybody. But the police want to know, wait, 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 wait. You were out in the middle of the trap. You were telling people, where are your credentials? Are you a police officer? How, How can you do this? That's our job. And then they get egg on their face. And they want to know who this upstart young guy is that took authority when he shouldn't have. Forget about the fact that he's helping people. Forget about the fact that people are now at home enjoying their swimming, their swimming pool and, and whatever else they have for the evening. All that aside, their integrity has been questioned because now they look bad. Well... That's kind of what's happening in Jerusalem when Jesus shows up. See, the temple had been run by this group of individuals, the Sanhedrin, made up of the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. And they've been running the show for quite some time, and it was their show to run. They felt like, hey, this is our house. I don't know what the zip code is, or I don't know what the area code for the temple is, but they are 305. (laughs) This is their home. And anyone who comes in and disturbs their system is going to hear about it. Jesus comes into the city with what we call the triumphal entry. And people are singing his praises and they recognize there's something going on here. And then Robert last week talked about how uh, you have this situation where the temple has just become what God never intended it to be. It was supposed to be a place of prayer 
for just the Jewish people. No, that's not what it says, right? My house shall be a place of prayer for who? For all nations. And that's what God intended. But the Jewish people and the leaders had kind of put a stranglehold on what happened in those within the walls. And so now Jesus is taking charge and he's throwing out the people that shouldn't be there and he's beginning to put order. But it doesn't feel very good for the Jewish leaders. And so they go up to Jesus and they have this little confrontation. And basically what they want to know is, who do you think you are? Where do you get off coming into the temple and ordering people around, throwing people out, doing all this stuff? Who are you? Where did you come from? And we would be happy if you just kind of went back. Well, today's text is continuing in this series of conflicts and controversies. And ever since Jesus stepped foot into Jerusalem and into the temple area proper, the rumblings of a coming storm can be heard. Uh, Yesterday, we heard the rumblings. They were off quite far. Uh, Then they got closer. And you can tell when the storm is getting closer. And for Jesus, the storm will culminate. This is probably Tuesday of his last week. And the storm will really let loose on Thursday. But before we get there, he has this series of interchanges and disputes and conflict with the Jewish leaders. They want to know who he is and where does he get off thinking that he can run things in the temple. And, and, and he answers them, but not in the way that they would like. And there's a little interchange about John the Baptist, which we'll talk about for a second. And then he tells a parable that kind of clarifies, but at the same time sticks it to the Jewish leaders. So so we're going to read the text. It's um, Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through chapter 12, verse 12. Uh, This is all part of the same narrative, the same situation when Jesus has... Uh, uh, cleared the temple and uh, we had the situation with the fig tree and now he comes back the third day or the third time and the text says that they entered Jerusalem once again as Jesus was walking through the temple area the leading priests the teachers of religious law and the elders came up to him they demanded by what authority are you doing all these things who gave you the right to do them In other words, who do you think you are? I'll tell you, Jesus responds. I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer just one question. It was a traditional back and forth with Hebrew rabbis to answer a question with a question. So the question was, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven? Or was it merely human? Now, we might think... John? Why, why is Jesus talking about John? Was this just like a little rabbit that they, he wanted them to chase? And it might seem like a diversion, but they talked it over. If we say it was from heaven, then he will ask why we didn't believe John. Because they weren't very much in favor of John. But if we say it was merely human, 
they were afraid that what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, our official policy is we don't know. No comment. (laughs) And Jesus responded, well, all right then. I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. But I will tell you a story. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for the pressing where you would press the grapes to get out the grape juice, built a lookout tower, and then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers, and then he moved to another country. Now, this text might be familiar to us because Jesus has included it, or it's in the Gospel of Mark, we might have read it before. It would have been especially familiar to Jews because there was a really well-known, Isaiah calls it a love song, a love story, in Isaiah chapter 5 that talks about how God lovingly had a vineyard. And the vineyard was the people of Israel. And so as Jesus begins this parable, no doubt they were thinking, oh yeah, we, we know who this is. And he leased the vineyard, the people, to tenant farmers. And they might have initially thought, oh, these tenant farmers are probably the Romans, those no-good-for-nothing uh, uh, scoundrels. And, and, and so they're the ones who are not going to properly take care of the vineyard. Because Jesus continues, at the time of the great harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. That was part of the understanding. That was the rent. Uh, uh, I'll let you uh, work the ground and you give me some of the harvest. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. That's kind of like when you get an eviction or you get a, a rent due notice and you uh, tear it up and then you stick it in an envelope and you mail it back to the owner of the house. Not that any one of you guys would ever do that, but that would be kind of like what they did here. They sent the servant back, beat up, empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. Others he sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one person left that the owner could send, his son, whom he dearly loved. The owner finally sent him thinking, surely they will respect my son. Did you catch the clue? My son, whom he dearly loved. Doesn't that sound a lot like when Jesus was baptized and came up and he heard the voice from heaven saying, This is my son whom I... Do you remember who baptized Jesus? Oh yeah, John the Baptist. So now it's all kind of coming together. There was one other time when when, there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my dearly beloved son when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Surely they will respect my son. But the tenant farmers said to one another, Here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. Didn't even bury it. 
Didn't even hide it, just threw it over the wall. What what do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do, Jesus asked? Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) He will come and kill all those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Didn't you ever read this in the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, or some translations say the capstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized that he was telling the story against them, that they were the wicked farmers. But they were also afraid of the crowd, and so they left him and went away. They'll be back. But for now, they left him alone. So, this question of authority... Who really is Jesus and what right does he have to change things around in the temple? Well, Jesus goes back to John the Baptist because John was very, very clear on who Jesus was. John knew because he had announced that there was one coming after him. And this one after him would be the Messiah. And so Jesus uses that situation to get the leaders thinking, trying to help them along to understand that Jesus was who John said. But they didn't want to accept that. They continued with their rebellious stubbornness. Even the reminders about hearing the voice from heaven that this is my beloved son didn't do it for them even though many were present. And this parable about the vineyard. uh, Jesus modifies the parable, because in Isaiah 5, the parable is directed at the vineyard, saying God has lavished his love on this vineyard, and the vineyard doesn't produce any fruit. And the vineyard is the people of Israel. Jesus takes that parable, and God is still the owner, and the vineyard is still Israel, or the people. But now he introduces the tenants, the religious leaders. And they aren't the Romans. They are the religious leaders in Jerusalem. The servants that were sent by the owner were the prophets. And so the story, it's it's a bit violent, But it unrolls, unfolds in in four stages. The first stage, the tenants rebel against the owner by beating, rejecting, and killing different servants as they did with the prophets of old. The, The second stage depicts God's grace in sending Jesus. Now, I don't know what you think about the decision to send your son after all the servants you've sent have been beat up, rejected, and harmed. On the one hand, you might say that doesn't seem like a real smart move. But again, grace and mercy goes beyond what might be rational. God's love for His people And his desire to interact with them is so great that he will do what the world would consider foolish. 
He would send his son where others have just been murdered. He would love someone that no one in the world would love. He would show grace and mercy to people that no one cared about. And Jesus has done that over and over through the gospel as we've seen. Blind, lepers, women, individuals that in their context and society were throwaways. The, the third stage of this story shows how the religious leaders reject this grace of God. And then the story moves to judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that for many years puzzled me about this parable was it just seems kind of illogical to think that this isn't my house, but if I kill the people that the owner is sending to pick up the rent, then that somehow this will become my house. <laughs> you know, our property laws don't work like that. There's a deed. But it kind of works like that in other countries. We set up a congregation in Argentina, and then we left, and then um, we helped raise money for them to buy a church building. And so things were going really well. The congregation was growing. And then we moved back to the States, kind of found some uh, uh, different ministries to get involved in. We were leaving it in their hands. And as time went on, we learned that they kind of just let the church go. The congregation as well as the building. So the building became empty. Next thing we know, a couple families have moved in from the community. We said, well, they can't do that. That's not their building. Uh, we have a deed. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> because in some places in the world, possession is nine-tenths of the law. And if you don't have a place to stay, and there is a place that is empty, then you have a right to stay there, and you cannot get evicted. So there was no way we could evict those people. And there are numerous stories from antiquity about this issue of owners that were absent and tenant farmers and squatters. And the reality was if the tenants killed the heir and there was no heir and the owner died, the fact that they lived on the property meant that they could have it. So this is a real scenario. Except we all know that that's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. How could they ever think? And the specific thinking on their part was the temple. This is ours. Who is Jesus to come in and mess up our place, our house? And so the real issue gets down to who we really think Jesus is. And how far does his authority go? And I don't mean if I were to ask you and you were to respond, who do you think Jesus is? We all know the right answer. <laughs> Jesus is God's son. But, but do we act as if Jesus is the king? This last week we celebrated our independence from a king and a kingship. Because we as a people didn't feel like we needed to be governed by someone who was living 
a distant way from us. And we celebrate our independence. But could it be that we've gone so far in celebrating our independence that we've gotten to a point where we think that this is our life and this is my life? You might remember the words to the Bon Jovi song. It's my life. And it's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. My heart is like an open highway, like Frankie Sinatra said. I did it my way. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. See, we don't really want a king telling us what to do. We don't want to pay homage, and we don't want to pay taxes, and we don't want to have to deal with someone telling us what to do. And unfortunately for us, in the way God has treated us, God isn't a drill sergeant demanding that we get on the ground and give Him ten. God is this overly patient, overly compassionate, overly gracious, overly optimistic soul who wants to give us just one more chance. Now, His grace has a limit. And that's kind of the end of the parable. But yet we've fallen to a point where we're misguided into thinking that this is all us. And then God's grace and mercy will just last forever. And so we're good. It makes me think about the story I read, I, I, my favorite bird is a hummingbird. I, I don't know why, but I just, I'm fascinated by how they can move, uh, and, uh, and so quickly and, and be still and dart and flit. And the neat thing about hummingbirds is you can actually make a feeder where you can bring them to your porch, right? You put the right kind of liquid and sweet something or other, and it has the little holes and they'll just come and fly. Well, I was reading this story about a guy that did that. And and this one bird started coming, this one hummingbird, and decided that that was his feeder. That that was his. I say his, it might have been a her, I don't know. but <laughs> and, and any other bird that came close, this one hummingbird would run off. And, and, and the author said, the audacity of that bird acting as if he put this feeder there, that he did the hard work and spent the money to buy the feeder and prepare the mix and took the dangerous step of getting on a ladder and hanging it from the tree or his porch. And the audacity of that bird to act like it was his when he didn't do a single thing other than just enjoy the fruit. And then the author says, what a foolish bird. <laughs> Who in their right mind would think that what we have is ours, that we have somehow earned the goodness that there is in our lives? 
the audacity that I could take something that God has given me and then demand that it's mine and not let anyone else have it. Because I earned it and I deserve it and it's my right. And I think God looks down and says, (laughs) foolish birds, foolish birds. You know, we call this parable the parable of let me make sure I have it here. Well, this one just says the tenants. A lot of times it'll say the evil tenants. This is really a parable of the graciousness of the owner of the vineyard. And that's the story for us today. God is just so filled with grace and mercy that He wants to give us one more chance to recognize that what He wants to be is our king, but not a dictator, but a loving father who will provide and care and give. And that's what Jesus wanted for his own followers. And that's what he wanted for the religious leaders. And yet they refused. Have you fallen into the trap of feeling like you're a hummingbird? If you say no... We all know you're lying. (laughs) Our lives are filled with so many good things that we didn't deserve, we didn't earn, and we don't have a right to. And what God wants us to do is to share. So we can share with those who have less. We can include those who are on the outside. We can truly make our lives and this place a house of prayer for all nations. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us. If you have an opportunity, if you have a need that you would like to share, you'll have an opportunity to do so. We're going to stand and sing. Brother Bob will be here to receive your requests. If you've gotten to a point where you're ready to say, I want to make Jesus king. I'm tired of being on the throne. I'm tired of being the one calling the shots. I'm willing and ready to let him make that decision and take that role. We would love to help you with that as well. So let's all stand and sing if we can help you make your way to the front.